Good morning. It's a good message about making a difference in somebody's life instead of uh, doing the easy thing to help them. Sometimes, uh, as Christians, it's easier uh, to kind of pay something um, just a, a passing notice rather than to actually do the hard work and get your hands dirty and, and invest in somebody's life, isn't it? I can't help but sense that God is doing something special in this congregation. I see it in Pastor Keith each week and Pastor Blake. I sure appreciate the work he's doing with our youth. And I just, you know, we don't, sometimes in American culture we get uh, confused. We think sometimes that we go to church to make the church bigger. And I think really the reason we go to church is to meet a big God and to respond to him and to be changed through that encounter. And every week that I come, I sense God's presence here, and I, I sense God doing something amongst us. And uh, I think he's getting us ready as we go out and we roll up our sleeves and we get our hands dirty uh, to do something for him. Now, it was about 11 and a half years ago that my wife came to me over at Maxwell Air Force Base with some balloons and uh, they were blue, and it said, it's a boy on them. And we were crying, and we had this uh, disc, and it had pictures on it, and we opened up the pictures to see what our son would look like. And we had been waiting for a year for our adoption agency to give us a placement, and we were praying and waiting and hoping. And as the days got longer, we were told that Vietnam was closing its adoption program and only a few more children would get a, a, a home and a placement in the United States, and we weren't even sure if we would be one of them. And so it was a great day, and it was Father's Day even. So it was my best Father's Day ever to find out that I had a son who lived in another country and I wouldn't meet him for another year. You know, as we uh, waited for him to come home, we, we got one of those Build-A-Bear monkeys, and we got the voice boxes, and we each took a different voice box, and we read the 20, parts of the 23rd Psalm into the voice boxes, and we put them in the paws of the monkey, and we sent it, and we had to kind of do it undercover because we weren't supposed to send stuff, so we sent it like it was paperwork, so we shrink-wrapped it, and we made the monkey really, really flat. And we sent it through the mail, and they, they kind of said, don't do that again, but we'll let it, we'll let it slide. Inside the monkey, it said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk to the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows." Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. And I used to think of Nate listening to this monkey at night, and he didn't have very many toys, just hitting that button over and over and over again, learning the sounds of the voices of his family and knowing that God had a home for him. Isn't that a picture of us waiting for God to bring us home? as we look for things to comfort us and we look for the nearness of God with the hope that one day that that introduction would be full and complete and it wouldn't just be a picture of something far away. But for the next year, uh, he moved out of the orphanage and into a foster home. The foster parents cared for him. They drove him around on a motorcycle. Wasn't crazy about that, but uh, 
Yeah, I have a picture, I wish I had it here today, of the foster dad, the foster mom, and two foster children stuffed in the middle. And that's actually a small family on one of those motorcycles in Vietnam. Uh, and the kids are both holding food and eating as they're getting ready to take off in the crazy streets of Hanoi, or I mean of Saigon. So as we got ready, as the day got closer uh, for us to Gideon, we tried to make preparations, you know, and we had money for the first time in our lives to actually buy stuff, so we didn't have the, the garage shell crib that was like a death trap, we didn't have like the hand-me-down dresser, we went out and bought new stuff, and my girls were so jealous, they're like, you're always buying him stuff, and I was like, he doesn't have anything, and I think part of it was just this sense of preparation and expectation that maybe we can do something to get ready. And uh, after a while, they got worse than us. They were always bringing stuff and throw it in the cart. Well, he'll need this. And I was like, no, you need that, but that's okay. <laughs> and we wondered as we str- struggled and we wrestled with getting ready for the anticipation of that day he'd come home, how would he fit and would we be able to love him like we loved our girls and uh, would it take away from what they had? And, and these are all the fears and the, the uh, uncertainties that adoptive parents feel as they get closer to the day that they bring their child home. Well, you know the rest of the story. Ten years ago, Nate came home, and craziest thing, immediately he was one of the family there. It was like having a baby at the hospital. I think there were points we couldn't even remember when we had Nate. It just seemed like he was there. Uh, My wife's made the comment a couple times, do you remember when I had Nate? Because it just seems like he's just like any other child. Uh, he's as much ours as the girls are, and everybody in the family understands it. You know, we can't explain it. We can tell you about it, but it was a miracle where God sealed our hearts to him. So he got a new mom, a new dad. He got two sisters, and he got a new name. He ran around the house with a big grin on his face with his birth certificate the day he came home because his name was official. He was Nathan Kuchuak Leonard. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul is writing to a church that had this birth into Christ, but was starting to wander away from that relationship. They had come to Christ with thanksgiving and love, and they were starting to become legalistic and religious. Now, Galatia is in modern-day Turkey, uh, where Paul had planted several churches. They had joined God's family, but had begun over time to leave the hope that they'd found in Christ. And so in Galatians 4, Paul is addressing this in verse 1. He says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave. Though he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time is set by his father. So also we were under age. We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So Paul kind of, he begins this discussion of opposites. He's talking about slaves and heirs. He's talking about servants, uh, I'm sorry, adults versus children and bondage versus ransom. And he's starting to show you there's a difference. There's, There's this tension in the world that we live in. We still live in the same system as all the people that have not yet come to Christ. But there's something different. There's something different about the status of being in the same house, but being somebody who's a part of the family instead of just a guest. Our status has changed, but we still live in a world full of restrictions. The restrictions that Paul's talking about here, he calls the elemental forces of nature and I, of the world. And, and I think he's using this language to kind of paint a picture for people who had come out of paganism, people who would worship things like the stars. And he said, you see the world and the elements around you, 
And, and it wants to tell you, you're like a cog. You're just a piece of the system that you're in. And he said, and it also gives a picture of the religion of the day, the, the religion of rules and laws and all the parts and components that you've got to participate in to maybe please God. But in this case, it's a trap. Those things don't get you closer to God. It's an allusion to the system of religion. Paul's speaking to religion from which they are saved, the paganism, and the religion that's trying to pull them away, uh, the Judaizers or the Jewish, uh, the Christians who said they had to follow Jewish rules to please God as Christians. And Paul's saying, no, that's not what you need to do. You've been saved. You were not saved from paganism to become Jews. You were saved to have a relationship with God. They are not just cogs in the wheel or elements in the universe required to follow established rules to gain God's approval. Instead of slaves, we live as sons and daughters in relationship to God. When we first moved back to Alabama, we were hit this rush of memories. We'd drive around and we'd say, oh, I remember that place, and I remember that place, and, and that's where this restaurant used to be. And we drove by the Capitol. My wife just had this emotional reaction because it's where she used to go every week to get our paperwork double notarized because the people in Vietnam didn't believe that the notaries were legit and wanted to have not just one notary, but they wanted the notary public notarized. And so every piece of paperwork, and there was this big of a stack, had to be double notarized, and she was there all the time getting the stamp. We had to have a home study and somebody come in and make sure we were good parents. We had to have uh, medical um, checkups, and we had to have that notarized. We had to have our... our uh, our money looked at, we had to have our backgrounds checked, we had to have all these different checks done just to be approved to be parents. And we're like, well, we thought we were parents. Um, just to be approved to adopt a child. Paul tells us we're like slaves and children who are being cared by somebody else without him. Until the fullness of time comes, we don't get the rights and the privileges of a son. We're, we're following all those rules. We're, we're sorting through all this red tape. That's the system of religion that's out there in the world. But God just wants to have a relationship with us. He just wants to be our father. When we were waiting for Nate, we, we were working on all this legal stuff to bring him home. Legally, we were becoming his parents, but we didn't have a relationship with him yet. The introduction hadn't yet been made. And I'll tell you, I could have cared less about all the legal stuff. I just wanted to hold my son. We can do all the right things and still not know the Father. Really being a child of God happens outside of the laws that just enslave us, that just hold us down, that just chain us to the world system. God wants to set us free from that. But all the time that we were held captive by these elemental spirits, by the system of the world, rather, God was sending us words of hope through the prophets. Sort of like Nate listening to that monkey at night, saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. You know, Scripture, religion, they, they played a part in God speaking to us, communicating to us, but it wasn't for the purpose of us getting chained to religion. It was to reveal the holy God who wanted to have a relationship with us. We're comforted by God's voice in Scripture. We're comforted by His presence in the church, but this is just a glimpse of God's love. He wants to give it to us for real. The real love of God can only be experienced firsthand and with a meeting. 
When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, this is verse 4, born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children because you were children. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you were no longer a slave but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. This is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible to me, and I don't think I understood it until I became an adoptive parent. I, I like the word for redemption so much, the biblical word for redemption so much. Nate's middle name is the Vietnamese word for redemption. That's what Kuchuak means. And redemption in this case, it, it looks at this idea that God paid a very real price to buy us back from slavery, to give us a chance to be in a relationship with him, to, have, to be a part of God's family, bought back from the chains of sin and death that we were held captive in. Buy us back from sin and empty religion, not to be indebted to God, but to have the freedom to love him as children. That's the picture of biblical redemption, that you were brought back from slavery and given a rightful place as children, a new hope, and a new life. Adoption is interesting here because it's not a Jewish concept. It, it wasn't something that there was much written about in the Jewish world, but it was Roman. And the Romans had this idea that you would bring someone into your house that hadn't been born there, and you would give them all the same status as someone who had been born into the home to include inheritance and status. We experience a father's love firsthand because he came to us and he bought us and he brought us to live in his home as if we were born to live there in the first place with no difference than the children who've been born biologically. We were redeemed to be adopted as God's children. When Nate was still in Vietnam, he was an orphan, but when the fullness of time had come, he became a son. He had foster parents that looked after him but he didn't have the full rights because of the legal red tape and the, the tyranny and distance that kept us separated. It's a mystery that a child can be grafted in your family just like any child born into that home. It's a quick and powerful bond that you can't explain, but you experience it, and it's immediate, and it's, it's life-changing. This type of adoption gives us a sense of intimacy with God. God wants to have an intimate face-to-face -face relationship with us. He doesn't want to have a legal arrangement. And sometimes that's how we experience religion when we come to church, is that God has this legal system of do's and don'ts and justifications. And all God is really asking for is you to be set free from that system so that you can be in relationship with Him. When we were still in Hanoi, we visited a lot of sites and uh, I love to be a tourist, and I will run over and see stuff, and I'll forget to tell my wife I'm going there, you know, <laughs> and that'll get me in trouble from time to time. And Nate had, or Nate was in this, um, this carrier, because he was just a little guy, and Val had him, and she wasn't quite as mobile, and I ran over to see something, and I hear this, bah! My two-year-old son, who'd been with us three days, who didn't speak a lick of English, used the Vietnamese word for dad to say, where are you going? And it was one of the most wonderful things I've ever heard in my life. I didn't solicit that. He just felt like he was close enough to me to call me daddy. 
And that is the kind of thing that Paul talks about here where he says we cry out, Abba, Father, using the Hebrew word for daddy, having the closeness to God and the privilege to call him in a familiar sense. You know, and sometimes we read this verse and we think, oh, it's, we're given this privilege to call God daddy, Abba, Father. But I think it's also God's privilege, if, if I might be so bold, to make that guess because I know it was my privilege to be called dad by my children. I think it's something God wants is to have that intimacy with us where we are close and we can call out to him. Definitely a gift from God, not anything that we can do on our own. We come to God with a debt. We try to please him. We we try all this religious stuff that gets us nowhere. In fact, it seems to get us further away from God. Have you ever noticed that? That the more religious you try to be, the more do's and don'ts you try to follow, the, the more exacting you try to be with your, your perfection, the more you seem to fall short of relationship with God. God loves us despite our sin. And we have to accept that. We have to accept the fact that God stands there next to us even knowing the garbage that we do. God knows more about us than our spouses do, and he still loves us. That's pretty amazing, right? He hasn't made it hard for us to know him. In fact, he's removed every obstacle that stood in the way between knowing us. I would suggest to you that it's at this point that we need to let go of the pretenses of our own ability to please God. We just can't do it. In fact, I think it's when we start to get in touch with the fact that we fall short that we start to get real with God. I know, you know, when you bring an adopted kid home, is slide seven up there? I know when you bring an adopted kid home, at least in Nate's case, uh, he came home and he did everything perfect. He picked up, he didn't argue, he, he went to bed when he was supposed to, he, he didn't cause a lot of waves which is really typical for a new adopted kid because they're afraid that maybe they'll have to go back. It's when they start to actually act up a little bit that you know that they're home. It's when the family gets real that you know that you love them. And he did not want me to show that slide today, so you can thank him. I asked him for his permission, and he said okay, because he, he got it. He understood what we were talking about today. Uh, but the reality is, it's not until we strip out the fact that we're not perfect before God that we can actually start to have that full relationship with him and he can start to sort through the garbage that's making us sin. You can't hide it from him. He knows it's there. We have to be real with God and then we'll truly be home. Verse 8 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature are not gods. Now, however, you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. And how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits? How can you want to be enslaved to them again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid that my work for you may have been done, have been wasted. So the first thing this verse is telling us is that we can't go back to the old religious ways of do's and don'ts and, and forgetting about that God has set us free to be a part of his family. We, I think we've established that. And he's also looking back to their paganism. And he said, you know, you used to be slaves to this system. Don't look backwards. Look forwards. Keep your eyes focused on where God is taking you, not where you've been. Don't start adopting a bunch of extra rules and religious junk. 
that you think is going to please God. And I'll tell you, I have a, a word for this. When we get really religious and we try to please God, I call it idolatry. Idolatry is anything that we worship and make more important than God because it gives us control over our eternity. And there's just, we have no control over our eternity. All we can do is respond to the offer God's given us. And by doing that, God sets us free from the law of sin and death. We begin to behave in a better way, in a more holy way, because we allow God to work in our lives. And as long as we try to hold on tight-fisted with control over our ability to perfect ourselves, we fall short and we actually sin more. We have to let God in to do the work. Essentially, all the law that we are still required to follow is summed up in love God and love others, which by uh, some crazy uh, coincidence is the mission of the church, right? Paul does give us some practical ways we can do that. He tells us to basically avoid idolatry and sexual immorality. But the reality is it keeps pointing back to this idea, and he does that in other parts of the New Testament. I'm just paraphrasing. We do that uh, because we've been set free. As evidence that the Galatians are set free, they're encouraged not to celebrate holidays. Now, I hate this verse because I'm thinking, you should see my house. It completely looks like Clark Griswold this year. Uh, we're having a wedding reception there, and I mean, I've got the twinkly lights and everything, and the power button's going around and around and around and around. And so you look at this and you say, okay, is Paul saying that we shouldn't celebrate Christmas and Easter? And I, I don't believe that. And I, I don't believe that for a couple of reasons. First of all, Jesus celebrated Passover. The disciples celebrated Sundays as a, uh, a day to commemorate the resurrection. Easter was celebrated very early on in the church. But Paul is talking about something. And so whenever you come across a verse that you don't understand, you have to find the context. You have to say, what? Why is this verse sitting right here and what is it trying to say? Well, Paul's been talking to people who had come out of paganism, who are being led astray by these false teachers to believe that they needed to be uh, legalistically Jewish as Christians. And he's saying, quit doing all this stuff to get right with God. And you used to follow all these seasons and all these rules and all this stuff to please your false gods. You're not going to please the real God by doing it either. I base this um, on the fact that they were struggling with these false teachers, which is the whole reason for the book of Galatians. And so if you look at where the verse sits and what it follows, it fits with that understanding of why he's saying these seasonal celebrations of the Jewish calendar or the pagan calendar, either one, are not ways that you can get closer to God. The only way you can get closer to God is by having a relationship with Him, having that love for Him that you first knew. So what then would be the right approach to holidays? Some, you know, there's some that advocate avoiding Christmas because of all the commercialism. You've probably heard that, right? Uh, or they, uh, they are concerned that there are other non-Christian holidays celebrated on the same day. So I would say for me, it's about what's your heart and why do you celebrate? For me, uh, Christmas is a time that I can get closer, I can spend some time getting refocused on my relationship with God and with my family. And it's a time where I can make a special season just to say, this is remembering that Christ came. To reorient my priorities. Uh, 
It's an opportunity to express love and compassion. And even if it's celebrated on the same day as another non-Christian holiday, I'm glad I have an opportunity to honor God instead of something else taking priority that day. We have to be careful not to make any celebration or practice a formal basis for pleasing God, but I'm quite sure He's pleased with our acts of devotion when they come from a heart of love for Him. So as long as it's not about pleasing God but just and trying to earn our way with God, but it's about loving God and responding back to Him, I think it's okay to have uh, seasonal celebrations that remember His sacrifice and His birth. Verse 12 says, Friends, I beg you because I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. You know that it was because of a physical infirmity that I first announced the gospel to you. Although my condition put you to the test, you did not scorn or despise me, but welcomed me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What has become of the goodwill you felt? For I testify that it had been possible you would have torn your own eyes out and given them to me. So he's, he's talking to here about how he got to know the Galatians for the first time. And he got to know them because as he was traveling around this region, he got sick and he got stuck in Galatia. And so what does Paul do when he's sick? He starts to tell people about Jesus. And he plants a church at the place that he's stuck getting well as he's recovering. And he, it's interesting here, he talks about his eyes, and it's interesting because some people think that was the thorn in his flesh. Uh, he had talked in other places about writing in big letters when he wrote with his own hand. And he, he talks about, um, and we know that he'd been blinded when he first encountered Christ on the road to Damascus and he had to have his sight restored. And we know that um, he speaks here of how the Galatians would give their own eyes to help him. I, I don't know what his struggles were. But we do know that sometimes infirmities come with a purpose. And we forget that. We want to be set free from infirmities, don't we? We don't want to struggle with anything. I want life to be easy, but sometimes infirmity has a purpose. Sometimes the only purpose is the fact that it gets us a little closer to going to heaven. But in this case, Paul's infirmity got him closer to people that needed to know Jesus. And he said, you know, I, I remember back then with all of my struggles, you received the message I had with joy and thanksgiving, but now you seem to be wandering away from that. And I remember back in the day when you would have given me the two eyes out of your own head. Let's get back to that place. Now is not the time to leave the truth you first had in Jesus. Now I'll tell you, it is tough to live for Jesus in this world, isn't it? I, I think Facebook is one of the toughest things in the world because I can look on Facebook at people that I've worked with over the years and I can see people that have left the church that I've worked with you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And it's tough as a pastor to see folks that you invested in and say, you know, could I have done something differently? Did I, did I miss the message with that person? But the reality is their relationship with God is their relationship with God. And we make the introduction with joy and thanksgiving, and it's our hope that people hold on to that for a lifetime. And I think that's what Paul's saying here is, you know, I, I spent time investing in you. I saw things with great joy and thanksgiving. I don't want to see you lose that because I love you. He's pointing to the root of the problems in the church of Galatia. There's false teachers that are trying to lead them astray. And why would people come into a good, healthy church and teach bad religion? I think Paul tells us right here why they do it. Because legalism is a tool that false teachers use to get power in a church. 
If you've got a lot of rules, if you've got a lot of legalism, if you've got a lot of do's and don'ts and you need more judges and false teachers to come in and, and help you sort through them, and if you're a master of legalism and a master of rules and a master of do's and don'ts, people need you to tell them right from wrong. And they begin to draw power from that, to siphon it off from the people. That's not what God meant for us to be. He meant for us to be set free from those uh, confinements of religion to know him and by knowing him to be set free from the sin that entangles us it serves the needs of a false teacher to make you dependent on their rules and you can always spot a false teacher because the rules keep becoming stupider and stupider <laughs> i mean you can just it won't make sense to you be listening to it and you'll be thinking are you making this up you're really telling me that it's you know, uh, they, they will classify things, and it would, just won't make sense to you. It won't be biblical, for one. It will be what we like to say is extra biblical. The truth is that God loves you, and this is your redemption. It's the Spirit of God inside you that calls out to God with a familiar term and says, You're my Father, I'm your child. You know when you have a child because they call your name when they're afraid or alone. They say it, but it sounds more like I love you when they say your name than just a, a formal title. How do you know you have God in your life? Because you call out to him when you're afraid or alone, and when you call his name, it sounds more like a familiar term and less like a formal title. When I, uh, Nate first came home, five months later, they deployed me to Kuwait. That was his first Christmas, his first birthday. I cried real tears. I was really upset with the Air Force. Uh, and while I was gone, he really got into Toy Story. Like, I think the first English sentence he said was to infinity and beyond. I kid you not. <laughs> and so if you know the story... In the story, Andy writes his name on the feet of Buzz and Woody so everybody knows that they belong to him, right? So my girls thought it would be really funny to write Baba on his foot so everybody knew he belonged to Bean. And it washed off in the, the bath, and he brought a marker to my wife and asked her to write it on there again so everybody would know that he had a daddy. We need to come like that with childlike faith and trust that God is our Father, that He loves us, that He bought us back from uh, slavery to sin and religion, and that He adopted us as true children, and that He's got a home for us, that we always have a home, that we always belong in God's family, that He'll always be there to protect and to provide and to be proud of us. God is now your Father, and you are now restored. Let me pray. Lord, we just we accept the love that you offer to us. Uh, we, the sacrifice that you made to purchase us back from our failures, our brokenness, and from a world that couldn't make us right. Help us not to get caught up with false religion or old ways we're distracted by the world around us, but help us to stay focused on a lifetime serving and honoring you that we might one day sit at your table and see you face to face. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.